Hello and welcome to this paediatric podcast on failure to thrive. I'm Amoko Crims and with me is David Kelly. Hi there, we're both medical students from the University of Notre Dame in Fremantle, Western Australia. Today we are discussing the topic of failure to thrive. This is an essential part of paediatric medicine as satisfactory growth is known to be a good marker for health in infancy and childhood. This podcast relates to children in the Western world and those with refugee and third world backgrounds are perhaps beyond the scope of this discussion. Failure to thrive is most accurately defined as the deceleration of a child's growth in weight, height and or head circumference. We identify this by plotting a child's growth over time on growth charts. However, sometimes a child's growth chart won't be available or the measurements have not been taken, so solitary measurements of growth below the 3rd or 5th percentile may warrant investigation. Furthermore, it is important to understand that failure to thrive in itself is not a diagnosis, but rather a clinical sign or physical description of a child. Mo, you mentioned that we look at weight, height and head circumference. I just wanted to point out that weight is the most sensitive measure. Weight will be the first factor that changes in a child who is failing to thrive, whereas growth in their head circumference will usually be spared. This is an important consideration because a child who is small in all three measurements may in fact just be a small child. And in growth charts, symmetry across the measurements is actually a reassuring sign. Moving on, we need to talk about these actual growth charts. Now, they're simply just a graph with the child's age on the x-axis and the unit of measurement, i.e. weight, on the y-axis. The World Health Organization and other organizations around the world have studied the normal distribution of a child's growth for age and plotted percentiles. It is then simple to plot where your child falls on the graph and read this against the percentile lines in the chart. Failure to thrive is a paediatric phenomenon, so we have only attached the early growth chart from 0 to 2 years. However, they do range up to 18 years old. Alright Mo, a child presents to you and on their growth chart demonstrates failure to thrive. What do you do for this child? Okay, so first off, you need to be careful with the term failure to thrive amongst the lay public. It can have negative connotations and some parents may feel that they have failed their children. It is a statistical definition and there are always going to be a small percentage of healthy children who meet this criteria. And there are some conditions that can in fact masquerade as failure to thrive. Okay, so for example, they could be they could have um, genetic short stature. It's logical that short parents may have a genetically small child and vice versa. These small children will consistently follow a lower percentile. The children could have extreme prematurity. When corrected for gestation, however, their growth parameters usually fall in normal ranges. The child could have constitutional delay. Some kids just, in fact, take longer to grow when compared to age-matched peers. And then some kids could be experiencing catch-down growth. This is where a big baby at birth may cross down percentiles, then follow normal patterns. Okay, Dave, so why don't you take us through the different causes of failure to thrive? All right. Well, failure to thrive used to be divided as either inorganic, so i.e. psychosocial causes, and organic, biological causes. However, recently there's been a move away from this division and now textbooks will use various classifications. And the one that we've found most useful is to divide it into the following three. One is increased use of calories. Two is the inefficient utilization of calories. And three is the decreased intake of calories. Now we'll discuss these in more detail later, but it's probably easiest if you just break down all the causes into these three groups. You'll find the list of potential differentials is huge and failure to thrive is likely to be multifactorial, and that is that it's caused by a few different reasons. So, for example, 
A baby with gastroenteritis may begin by vomiting, which would be an inefficient use of calories. They may generate a fever, so have increased caloric usage. Then they may fail to feed due to anorexia, so they're going to have a decreased intake of calories. Having a sick baby can also stress out the parents, which can affect breastfeeding and so on and so forth. So you can see how one cause can in fact start a self-fulfilling cycle of multiple factors. When thinking of failure to thrive, it's common to think of worst case scenario, the starving, malnourished and unloved child. Whilst we don't want to miss the case of child abuse or neglect, it's probably more clinically useful to put this at the back of your mind when first investigating failure to thrive and reserve this differential as a diagnosis of exclusion. So we'll talk about now the first group and that's increased use of calories. And essentially these children have a raised basal metabolic rate. Their baseline caloric requirement is elevated and this can happen with fever, infections, chronic diseases or as the child recovers from trauma and or surgery. In these scenarios, the child is in a stress response and uses significantly more calories at rest. Whilst they are fighting or recovering, often the child won't or can't feed more and therefore an imbalance occurs between intake and usage and this will mean they'll lose weight and subsequently fail to thrive. Okay, so an inefficient use of calories. These children are receiving adequate food in terms of quantity and quality. However, for one reason or another, they failed to convert their oral intake into nutrition fit for growth. Celiac disease or short bowel syndrome are examples of how a child may fail to thrive and absorb nutrients from their gastrointestinal system. Also, conditions like glucose 6-phosphatase deficiency and diabetes are examples of where children aren't able to digest or store nutrients such as glucose. And of course, there's excessive vomiting and diarrhea. Alright, the third group is the decreased intake of calories and for one reason or another these children aren't eating enough nutritious food. And I mean this can be because mum just does not know how to provide for the child, mum may not be physically able to provide for the child, the babe themselves may not be able to feed, or even the sadder situation where mum may just not care for this child. Okay, so now I'll talk about workup. And the most important part of the workup, like in all medicine, is the history. Try and obtain the child's growth charts initially to identify growth patterns and when, in time, a fall in growth started. When taking a paediatric history, include questions about antenatal care, the labour and neonatal history. It's also important to know about the diet of this child to date. Then go through the usual systems review, asking the questions we ask of all patients that come through our doors. In kids, we're also interested in their development. We look at motor, social, speech and cognitive milestones. Finally, probe into the social circumstances in which this child lives. So hopefully from the history, you should have narrowed down your list of differentials and then move on to examination. And the first rule of any examination is to just to observe your patient. Have a look at the kid and see if they're well or unwell, listless or vivacious. Do they have any obvious dysmorphic features suggestive of a particular syndrome? Then examine for nutritional status, looking at the legs, buttocks and arms because well-nourished babes will store fat in these positions. You can also look at the nails, skin and hair of the bub for specific deficiencies. Then run through just a standard examination, looking at the cardio, respiratory, gastro, urogenital and urological systems of the child. If possible, it may be helpful to observe the feeding practice. And finally, note the relationship dynamics between bub, the parents and any other carers. This sounds like a lot of points to think about, but as you see and examine more kids, these observations just become second nature. 
So, Mo, we've taken a history and, an investi- and examinations. What investigations, if any, are warranted in failure to thrive? Okay, so basic blood tests such as, such as a full blood examination, electrolytes, inflammatory markers and a urine dipstick can be helpful screening tests. Allow the history and examination to guide you into any further investigations. Remembering that hospitals are scary places for children and what we think a simple test can significantly be distressing for not only the child but mum as well. Also occasionally it may be necessary to admit the child for either immediate management further investigation or because you believe it's not safe for the child to return into their community. So Dave, how do we manage failure to thrive? Essentially, coming to the correct cause behind failure to thrive is the hardest part. And once you know this, it's just a matter of solving the problem and working at correcting it. It's always helpful to recruit members of the multidisciplinary team for management because often social workers, dietitians, nurse educators and the like have more time and a better skill set to help these families than we do. One last point I'd like to make is to be aware of the legislation in regard to child abuse. This varies depending on where you are working and you may actually be bound by mandatory reporting to inform government officials of people who you suspect of child abuse. So to sum up. Failure to thrive is important to detect and correct in children to allow them to grow to their full potential. It is best defined as a full introductory of growth. And it's easy to think of the causes in three broad categories. One, the increased use of calories. Two, inefficient use, utilization of calories. And three, inadequate caloric intake. You must take a thorough history and careful examination before considering any investigations. Then, to treat failure to thrive, manage the underlying cause, recruit the multidisciplinary team, and always remember to maintain good rapport with the parents. Well, thank you everyone for listening, and we hope this podcast on paediatrics failure to thrive has been helpful. Thanks again. Goodbye.